for the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Fabian Ardaya, who covers the LA Dodgers for The Athletic, about the Giants and the Dodgers and the second half. Really more of a focus on what the Dodgers are looking to do. Could they be involved in the Juan Soto sweepstakes? That would be a hell of a battle, an arms race between the Giants and the Dodgers, trying to land the best young player in the game. Just 23 years old, something we could talk to Fabian about, as well as the Dodgers roster. How do they continue to get this done year after year while developing talent and adding some of the best talent across the game? All things we could talk about with Fabian Ardaya, who joins me next. Today is Friday, July 22nd. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Fabian Ardaye covers the LA Dodgers for The Athletic and uh, I know that we're uh, we're heavy Giants fans up here in the Bay Area but still good to uh, see what's going on with the enemy down in Los Angeles as the Giants and the Dodgers will finish up a four-game series this weekend from Chavez Ravine. Fabian, how are you, man? Good to have you back. Good. I mean, I mean they didn't get much of an all-star break so I'm still sort of catching my breath after a pretty busy week. But I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, if, if the team you cover hosts the All-Star game, you don't really get much of an All-Star break. Uh, was this the first one you'd covered? Had you been doing an All-Star game before? I did last year's game as well in Denver. That was a different experience because obviously not covering from the host city or anything like that. But it felt like a Los Angeles All-Star game in every sense where it's all the stars, all the, the bells and whistles were out. And it, it was definitely an exciting week. It was cool. I'm a big all-star game guy in general, home run derby guy. I've always enjoyed that futures game. I went to it uh, back in 2007 when it was up here in San Francisco. Um, Did you get to enjoy any of the – because if you're there covering the game, you're not watching what's going on necessarily on the broadcast. Did did you get a chance to see any of the stuff with Nestor Cortez talking on the mound and to Trevino and figuring out which pitch to throw or or dealing with John Smoltz and Alec Manoa mic'd up? Did you get an opportunity to see any of that stuff? I didn't until after the game. I watched some of that stuff after the fact. It's, it's really well done. I know I'm normally anti-miking out the players, even for an exhibition game, but like the way they did it was very smart. Rather than like asking guys questions while they're trying to do their job, letting the players sort of be themselves and maybe have that personality while still in the natural course of their job, I think that's a better use of that for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the players kind of dictated what the, the content was rather than, than being interviewed about their favorite color or their favorite food in the uh, the L.A. area or something exactly. like that. So give me your outlook on the Dodgers from the first half. I would say they were as advertised. Uh, they're a World Series contender. They look like one of the deepest lineups uh, we've ever seen, certainly in this Dodger run of, of all the National League West titles. Uh, just give me your scope on the team. Is it is it just sort of business as usual? Is there something that you think they need? What's your uh, your outlook or your thoughts on their first half? Despite the fact that the record was great, for a lot of the first half, it felt somewhat underwhelming just because the lineup wasn't quite what people expected it to be. Max Muncy got to a slow start. Justin Turner got to a slow start, although he's corrected a little bit. Cody Bellinger is still struggling. So you sort of had some question marks there. The rotation had a lot of injuries going into it. Walker Buehler getting hurt. But then all of a sudden, you sort of looked that last couple of weeks or so right before going into the break. I think they went 20-5 and five or something like that with only one day off in there. And they sort of reeled off a lot of wins, looked really good doing it. I mean, this is just a really good, deep baseball team. I say that about every pretty much Dodgers team in the last few years. Like, this is a very good team. Could they use some reinforcements at the deadline? Sure. I mean, they could add another starter. Be good. They can reinforce their bullpen, although they've been pretty good. They can maybe use a little right-handed bat, but that lineup has still been pretty good. And even the bench, which was a huge red flag for them last season, has improved this year. So they look like they're in a great spot. Uh, it's just a matter of seeing like how the next few weeks before the deadline shake out and then how the next few months shake out. But they're going to be a World Series contender for sure. 
Yeah, there's no doubt that they are, and, and there was discussions before the season that this may be uh, one of the best lineups, if not the best lineup, just on paper in the history of baseball, uh, and, and we're seeing it play out. Not, now you look at the Yankees and you go, well, damn, maybe that's that lineup is the best lineup in the history of baseball. What do you make of, of the Trey Turner offseason situation? Uh, obviously, Juan Soto uh, looks like he's going to be traded. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen in the next couple of weeks, but it seems like before the start of next season, Juan Soto will not be a Washington National. Trey Turner going to be a free agent. The Dodgers are a team that has been mentioned in the Juan Soto sweepstakes? Is it just, are they willing to foot the bill for this? Is the expectation that they will try to re-sign Trey Turner? How, how do you feel about them in the Juan Soto sweepstakes? What happens to this roster over the next season? I think they will make an attempt to bring back Trey Turner, but I think they'll sort of view it the same way they treated uh, Corey Seager's free agency this winter, like where they're going to make an effort, they're going to have their number, they're going to stick to their number, they're not going to go too far to try to keep their own guy. They feel like they have probably some options internally to maybe piecemeal at shortstop with Gavin Lux, uh, Jacob Amaya is a prospect who had a really good year in double-A, just got the triple-A. They can still go out. And there's a good free agent class out there for shortstops when it comes to, in addition to Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, even Dancy Swanson. Like, they probably will explore that, maybe explore a trade. I think they're going to be willing to sort of be flexible with the shortstop position, although Trey Turner is still probably in that mix. They very much like the fact that they only have, I think, now four contracts that are guaranteed beyond 2023, so they still have enough room to maybe navigate in the future. Does that mean that they're not going to go out and try for Juan Soto? No, I think they're still going to do that. He's the type of player that you sort of make exception for. I don't know if they necessarily are going to be the most aggressive team when it comes to trading from the deadline, but they will certainly have a seat at the table because it feels like the Dodgers at this point, whenever a superstar-level player like that comes available, they're going to have a seat at the table because those types of players just aren't available very often, let alone a player as young and as good as Juan Soto. It is incredible. I mean, Andrew Friedman comes over from the, the Tampa Bay Rays, and, and obviously Giants fans are familiar with Farhan Zaidi having been a Dodger, and, and I think the hope is that the Giants will start to build something with the consistency that the Dodgers have, and, and I know that the Giants have done it differently because they haven't gone out and gotten that big player yet, while the Dodgers have gone and gotten Trey Turner and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, and obviously making the big trade to, to get those guys, uh, Mookie Betts over here, and they went out and they, uh, they've they got David Price now, right? But it's crazy to look at the roster, and, and you said there's only four contracts guaranteed beyond what year Two years from now? 2023, so beyond next year. Beyond next season. It's incredible because you look at guys like Justin or, uh, uh, Justin Turner at $16 million, Cody Bellinger at $17 million, Clayton Kershaw at fourteen five, David Price at thirty two, Craig Kimbrell at $16 million. They're not financially locked down or strapped for anybody outside of Mookie Betts. And Freddie Freeman's only here for a handful of years and then will likely retire. But outside of that, the Dodgers' financial flexibility is just sort of incredible that they're able to be involved in these discussions for the top player each and every year and yet still not be strapped down by a, a contract that's hanging on to the roster. I guess the one would be David Price, but you know, at this point, he's got what a year left on this contract, or, or two years left on this contract, and that'll be it for him. So I, I'm just I'm extremely impressed with the way the Dodgers have been able to to build this roster, maintain success while continuing to add top talent without being strapped down financially. Yeah, I mean, part of it's just the fact that they, especially early on in this ownership group, like they spent to avoid like having to give up some of their young prospects. And that way, that group of young prospects that they inherited, like they inherited Corey Seager, they inherited Cody Bellinger, they inherited Julio Rias, they drafted Walker Buehler early on, drafted Will Smith early on. They held on to those guys, even though, when they were asked about them in trade discussion. And they all worked out as superstars-level talent when they were not getting paid superstar-level money. 
they pay to keep them in arbitration. And someone like Cody Bellinger this year, like you're you're able to sort of foot the seventeen million dollar arbitration bill just because you know, all right, there's a chance that he could be a superstar. But anyways, he's a valuable player. We can keep him. So they do that, and then they're still able to spend money on top of that because of the other guys that they have that are young and cheap, like Will Smith and stuff like that. So that sort of allows their balance sheet to sort of stay pretty even, although they clearly spend more money than most teams. I got to tell you, Fabian, as a lifelong Giants fan, I hate to see how good they are year after year after year, but as a baseball fan, it's, it's really, really impressive to watch it, that they're able to, to, to do this financial maneuvering and to, to grow the talent within the organization that they have. Will Smith, another guy who's come up from within the organization, has been fantastic uh, over the last few years. So you were talking deadline and about potentially some pieces they could add. They could bolster the bullpen a little bit. What do you think about the back end of their bullpen right now? Uh, it's got some question marks, but I think there's some – that are starting to answer themselves a little bit. I think Evan Phillips is sort of shoot, showing that he might be a late-inning type of reliever, and which is crazy to think about because he was a waiver claim last August. Uh, against the Almonte, signed a minor league deal, but has been really, really good this season. So they have a couple of guys who have sort of emerged into those roles. You have some guys that they're hoping will get healthy. There's a group of guys who they're sort of penciling September for, and they, they can get one or two of them back, like Tommy Canely, Blake Trinan, one of those two guys, or Danny Duffy, Victor Gonzalez, if you can get a couple of those guys back, your bullpen looks a lot better. And the biggest thing for me is they have to get Craig Kimball right, because I don't think they're going to trade for another closer. I don't even think they're going to replace him as a closer, at least not right now, despite the fact that he's had a horrid first half. Because, I mean, the stuff is still there. It's just he's not locating well at all. And I think they feel like there's maybe one or two things they can lock into place just over time. They're just maybe running out of time in a sense. They have to hope that he can sort of figure it out. If he can, great. If not, then he's the guy who's part of their postseason bullpen, but not one of the guys that wind up trusting in the end. I've always looked at a Dodger and another player, both at starter and closer, as two of the pitchers of the generation. Obviously, Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer are the two guys who I think define uh, probably this generation or the generation before. Probably Verlander, too, is the guys who are the top starters uh, of this era. I look at closer, and I go Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen. Those are the two guys. The Dodgers have had both of them. How was Kenley Jansen viewed at the end of his tenure in, in Los Angeles? I know he's well-liked out in Atlanta right now, and I know he's uh, he had some health issues and, and at one point was uh, the highest-paid closer in the game. What are the thoughts on him being gone and and it's always, you know, fans, I think I think baseball fans in general all just think their bullpen is the worst bullpen. And so I wonder how Dodger fans viewed Kenley Jansen. I think he's a, a future Hall of Famer or a potential Hall of Famer at some point, Craig Kimbrell also. But is there a uh, grass is always not always greener feeling, you think, for Dodger fans this year? I do think that he was very much underappreciated. I think he was, well, how he was viewed was sort of in that 2018 to 2020 lens when he wasn't the best version of himself. The velocity went away. The cutter wasn't quite what it used to be, and the results sort of fell off. I think he sort of saw him bounce back last season, was really, really good. The velocity was back. He looked a little bit like the old Kenley. But I think there's going to be a part of Dodger fans that look, when they won the World Series, Kenley Jansen wasn't the guy on the mound closing it out. They didn't trust him to close out the World Series. That was Julio Diaz. I think that sort of showed how far Kenley had fallen off. Uh, at that point in his career, and that, that's when they keep pointing to beginning of last year as like a motivating factor for him sort of rediscovering himself last year. But I think that's painted what has been a borderline Hall of Fame career uh, with the Dodgers in a different light than it probably should because there was a stretch there where he was the best closer in baseball bar none. 
Yeah, no question. He was getting it done like Mariano Rivera was, just throwing like a cutter up there, a fastballs and cutters, and, and getting it by guys. Uh, what one more thought for you or from you on the way out here? Uh, the Freddie Freeman situation was a funky one earlier this year when they went back to Atlanta, and there was all the stuff that came out about he and his agent and, and getting new representation, and the thought that maybe he uh, he didn't get notified about an offer that that went down or, or was potentially offered to him in Atlanta. Clayton Kershaw had some comments about it. Well, how's it been to cover Freddie Freeman? He's said to be one of the best guys in baseball. I don't think anybody would ever question his dedication, but it was sort of a funky situation earlier this year. What did you make of that whole thing, and, and how has it played out since then? I think that like as awkward, clunky, and strange, and poorly handled on some respects. Sometimes some of it by Freddie Freeman himself, some of it by uh, people around him, and everything like that. As weird as that was, I think it was necessary, and it was necessary to happen when it did. There's been a noticeable difference in weeks since then. Seems like Freddie Freeman, who was sort of saying he didn't want closure from Atlanta, now has sort of like said like, "All right, I needed that. I needed to move on." Like. I'm with the Dodgers now is basically how he viewed it. And I think it's sort of shown in the last few weeks. It seems like it was a part of the process for him personally, that he needed to handle, needed a process. And now everyone's sort of moving forward in a sense. And I mean, it helps that he's playing extremely well since then. Team is playing extremely well. It seems like Clayton Kershaw and Freddie Freeman sort of discussed those comments and sort of moved forward. And everything's sort of gone well since then. I mean, he and Freddie. I mean, he's been engaging. He's been very good to talk about. Seems like he's very appreciative of what the Dodgers have done. Because I mean, he's seen it from the other side. He's had to compete against these guys the last few postseasons. He knows how good this team is. And I think there's an appreciation that he's gotten from seeing what it's like up close that he has sort of communicated often. Yeah, you just don't see that sort of stuff uh, uh, play out publicly like that often. So it was a, it was a funky situation, I think. And you, you said it right. I think you said clunky, and that's sort of how it felt. But uh, things like it seems like things have, have uh, righted the ship a little bit. Freddie Freeman's still performing, and, and Clayton Kershaw, obviously, is still Clayton Kershaw. So, Fabian, it's been fun talking to you, man. I, I'm hoping uh, – I don't think the Giants are going to catch the Dodgers. It would take a hell of a second half by them and an average or below average second half from the Dodgers, about 70 games left uh, in the season. But it would be a lot of fun to see the Giants get in as the six, maybe take out the Brewers, the three and then get to see the Dodgers again in the division series. Appreciate the time today, Fabian. We'll catch up with you later. Of course, anytime. Great stuff from Fabian Ardaya. Make sure you're following him. You always got to keep tabs on what's going on with the enemy, the Dodgers. And I heard Dwayne Kuyper on Murph and Mack on KNBR earlier this week saying Giants fans got to be prepared to be rooting for the Dodgers against those teams that they're uh, needing to lose ahead of them in the wild card race. And, and specifically, I guess that would be teams like the Padres, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You don't have to root for the Dodgers. You can root for like a 15 or 17 inning games and then have the uh, the Dodgers maybe come out on top. But chew up both bullpens. That's what I always, <laughs> what I always root for is a nice long ball game where bullpens get chewed up if it's two teams that I'm rooting against. So we'll see what happens in the second half. Giants and the Dodgers, three more games from L.A. go down starting tonight. Uh, and then the Giants will uh, will continue on the road before they come on back home for a fun second half and hopefully an active trade deadline for the Giants. Maybe they'll get involved in the Juan Soto sweepstakes. Thank you to Brian, my producer. Thank you to Fabian Ardaya. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you listen to the podcast. We'll be back with you next Wednesday, off on Monday, back on Wednesday, and then we got to start thinking about football. NFC West stuff coming up, 49er football talk coming up, and when the hell is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be traded? That's all coming up in the days and weeks to come on the update. Until next Wednesday, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then. 